Well, hello and welcome to the Split Reel Podcast. I'm Steve Packnick and joining me as always, Gabe Acevedo. Hello, everybody. Happy belated happy Valentine's Day. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, this past weekend. So that was always great. We also dropped a super special episode uh, with uh, Kayla, who came on and joined us for to talk about rom-coms. So be sure to check that out if you didn't see that special bonus episode in your in your feed. Yes. Thanks, Kayla, for coming down. I love doing that episode. It was so much fun. And I think we mentioned in the episode, I had no idea. I actually watch a lot of rom-coms. Oh yeah. There's so many more rom-coms than, than like even we included. I, I was thinking about our list after and a couple of people listened to the pod and, and gave me suggestions and yelled at me for movies I didn't put in there. But uh, you know, it's such a, it, we, we had a good time and it's not the last list round we're going to do. We're definitely going to be having some more people on eventually and talking about more lists and, and different movies for totally different genres and, and just <laughs> All sorts of fun lists. I, I don't know. Like, I was I was going through a list of lists in my head the other day, and like, man, some of them are way out there. So, I'm excited about the opportunity to do that. Yeah, that was fun. I can't wait to keep doing our list series with more people. So, if you're mad because we didn't mention any rom coms, don't worry. We'll probably have you on, and you can mention your movies on the genres that we choose for that month. Yeah. Also, you can feel free to share your favorite rom coms with us. Uh, you know, I have you post them on our Facebook or on Instagram. You can certainly share your favorite rom coms. We'll give you a shout out on the pod. So. Uh, certainly do that. I, I have no problem with it. <laughs> It'd be fun. Get people involved. Yep. That's what we're here to do. Get people what they want. Speaking of what they want, we're going to talk about headlines. So we got to start off with our headline snapshot. We got a, a couple headlines here for you this week. Some really interesting things happen. Uh, we're recording this a little bit late. We're recording this on Monday, just before just before our Tuesday deadline for our episode. So we got, a, we got treated to a couple of uh, extra little um, headlines this weekend. So, uh, Start starting off though. Uh, I know Gabe, you you had a couple of headlines that you wanted to talk about. Yes, it was an event an eventful few days for sure. I think the biggest thing um, that came to mind when we were planning out this conversation starter was the news that Gina Carano is officially out of Star Wars and out of Disney because of some anti-Semitic and anti-trans and other problematic tweets that she's been posting. Since last year, so it wasn't only the last week when she posted whatever it was that she posted, but it's this has been an ongoing problem for a year. So Gina Carano is out of Star Wars, out of Disney. Um, we learned that she was going to have her own TV show. Mm, um, yeah. And then on Investor's Day, they decided not to announce it because of everything that was happening. And now she is gone. So, Steve, what do you think about that? Well, luckily for The Mandalorian and Star Wars universe in general, Gina Carano's not a very good actress. <laughs> so like there's, I mean, that's Thank kind you. of like, Thank that's, you. it's kind of a silver lining. Like, it's not like they're cutting Pedro Pascal, who is like pivotal to the Mandalorian. He is the Mandalorian. Uh, Gina Carano's character, I think, wasn't that compelling of a character. I don't think her, her backstory was very good. It's an easily replaceable character. I mean, it's also an easily forgettable character. There's a reason that there's no, um, there, there's, I think, a Lego figure of her. <laughs> uh no but she's she's not on people's backpacks she's not you know she's not baby yoda okay this is you can replace anybody in this and i think it's a very easy character to mm -hmm. replace i'm not i'm not that worried about this at all i don't yeah i think it i think it was the right move um but i don't i don't think it's gonna impact the the mandalorian or anything like that yeah same i i yeah she's not Meryl Streep. She's not the Meryl Streep of Star Wars, so it's not like it's affecting anything. You know, we're not here to go into depth about any thoughts that you have on this but um you know unfortunately when you're a star i will say this when you're a star 
you are representing a company, you're representing a title, yeah. you're representing an image and you know, there, it is what it is. I mean, it's not just any company too. It's Disney. It's Disney. Know, they it, it, own it's Disney. all of us. Yeah. I mean, also Disney has like, I'm sure they have like standards and things like that. And like just being anti-Semitic is not part of their standards. Well, I mean, Walt Disney himself was anti-Semitic, but that's that's not necessarily. We don't, that is a different <laughs> conversation for another day. Yeah, we don't have to go. We don't have to dive back into like 1930s Disney films and how mm-hmm. you know racist a lot of those there are depictions yeah. in there. We don't. We, yeah. we don't need to talk about the Song of the South right now. <laughs> no, 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 definitely not. We don't have to talk about that one. Yeah, but you know, it is what it is. I think like everything. It's you know, consequences. It is what it is. And Disney decided this is not what we need right now. This is not the image that we're trying to portray. And she's out. And it, you know, as as it sucks in, in the way that she had the world at her feet. You know, she was in Star Wars. She's in Disney. She was going to have her own show. But there you go. It happens. It happens. So second, something came out yesterday, Valentine's Day of all days, that threw the nerd and the geek realms into high-end ecstatic mode and is the first official Justice League trailer or I better say the Zack Snyder's Justice League trailer. Yes, uh, yes, that's the official title, Zack Snyder's Snyder, Justice League. Justice League trailer. <laughs> Let's get that in. Snack Snyder's Justice, Justice League Justice League, yeah, yeah. Um, thoughts what do you think do you see it i i i definitely saw this i mean i i i'm i get i get a lot of flack for this but i like the dc movies okay i'm not i'm look i don't think they're great uh, and certain- i am quitting this podcast <laughs> Every, Sorry, <bye> everybody <laughs> so certainly like wonder woman 1984 not good that one that was definitively not good i i thought the i thought aquaman was enjoyable enough it was fun only because jason momoa is, is you know great as aquaman he's the perfect casting I enjoyed Justice League the first time I saw it. And then I watched it again and was like, wait a minute. Because I saw it in theaters the first time. And I was like, this is actually enjoyable. And then I realized the theater bump. You get a bump from being in the theater and seeing seeing people on a giant screen really helps you. Seeing it on on your TV, you start to think like, wait a minute, this isn't good. And it really wasn't that good. It really wasn't that great. But I... I enjoy him, so I'm really excited to see this take. I mean, the the cut looks way better. This looks better than than anything that they've put out in the past like few years. So I I really was looking forward to this. I, I'm excited to see Henry Cavill as Superman, uh, just having a bigger role, um, and just just see the the re edits because I, I hope that they are able to make uh, the villain actually villainous because I didn't feel that in the first one, and I think Zack Snyder can can really deliver on this. Yeah, I'm with you. I am not a fan of anything that DC has given us apart from Wonder Woman, the first one. Um, I enjoy Jason Momoa in Aquaman. I don't think that movie's good. Um, But this is going to be better than anything they've given us, in my opinion. And the trailer does look enjoyable. I am walking in with no expectations. I yeah. after the run that DC has had, I am walking in. Well, no, I like Shazam. Shazam, I really enjoy. That was fun. yeah, Shazam. I enjoyed that. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm walking in with no expectations. I'm like, I'm walking in. I'm gonna give it a shot. I'm gonna give that four hour movie a shot when it comes out because it's four hours. Um, I am really happy that he's getting to give his vision. I'm really happy yeah. that he, you know, after the after all his personal issues, which is the main reason he left. 
um, and everything that has happened in the fandom since. I'm happy that he's finally getting to release the movie that he wanted to to mm. do. Um, so yeah, you know, it, it definitely looks better than what we got the first time. So yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited for it. I don't know. My my only concern is I have no idea what the whole the ending of it. You know, you see Joker show up, and I don't know how that's going to tie in. So. I feel like it's just him trying to to give Jared Leto a little bit more justice for his portrayal of Joker, which was not well received in the Suicide Squad. Uh, sorry, in Suicide Squad. Not, not Suicide <laughs> yeah, because the Suicide different... Squad is the new one. Yes, we haven't seen the Suicide Squad yet. That comes out later. But uh, uh, the, you know, he got a lot of flack for that. But uh, he's trying to, I guess, revive it and have a different take on it now. Even so, uh, it'll be it'll be really interesting. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see how it lands. So what about you? Any headlines that you want to talk about? So the only thing I, I saw this weekend, which was like a ama- like pretty dramatic, was uh, th- we, we got a box office return this weekend. And the U.S. box office return, if you don't know, if you didn't check, $5.4 million for the for the domestic box office in the U.S. The top say, that, movie, say that number again? $5.4 million. Oh, what has number, happened? The number one movie in the box office this weekend was Crude's 2 which came out 14 weeks ago. This is this is where we're at in our domestic box office here. Things are not going well. Uh, obviously, we have not dealt with the pandemic at all. So movie theaters aren't open. Hopefully, you know, we can get those open soon because I would love to go back to the movies. I just want to be safe. I mean, if once everything's safe, I mean, luckily numbers are trending in the right direction, but that's a different discussion because we had box office numbers are revealed from China and a movie called Detective Chinatown 3. Uh, so, you know, the third in the Detective Chinatown series, which you certainly have never heard of before. This movie made $397 million this weekend. This is not just the biggest opening weekend for a movie in China. I mean, a movie in, you know, a Chinese film. This is the biggest opening weekend for any film ever. Uh, to put in perspective, uh, Avengers Endgame made $356 million its opening weekend. And this made $41 million more than that. Wow. It's just a colossal return for a film. Uh, it's it, I, I just I was so blown away with this and it was thinking about the ramifications that this is going to have on the film industry. I mean, the the theater experience in the US is not going well, right? Nope. But the theater experience in in China is absolutely massive. And the thing to think about is the fact that they make millions and millions of dollars with theater tickets. And there is a potential for this. So I really feel like movies are going to start catering more and more to the Chinese audience. Uh, There's all sorts of laws around getting films in China, but um, there's going to be more and more stuff that's going to incorporate Chinese characters, Chinese film locations, uh, all sorts of Chinese storylines that are going to be made in the U S to try to release in China so that they can make tap into this, this money. Cause there's a huge amount of money going in, in China right now. Yeah, that was, I had no idea that movie even existed. Um, I had no, no idea the amount of money it made. Um, me me you know, until I saw the headline. It, it, it is what it is. They, you know, they did things right. They can go to the movies. <laughs> we still can't, but we shouldn't. Um, and there you go. That's, the, that's what you get. That's what I mean, look, get. another thing too to think about too. I mean, for, to be fair, I guess, uh, China also does have, uh, the middle class of China is larger than the entire population of the United States. You know, they have, they have over 350 million people who are in the middle class in China, which is greater than the whole population of the U S. So people have more money in China. Um, and so it's really interesting, this big shift that's going to be, we're going to see this be, have ramifications, I think in Hollywood films for the next 
the next like 20, 30, 40 years. We'll see it going into the future. I mean, and interestingly, a movie that was supposed to come out this weekend was uh, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Twelve Rings, Yep, which is the MCU's movie that stars a Chinese superhero that was supposed to come out this weekend. And this weekend is fitting because this weekend was the Chinese New Year. So it would have been a really, that's what's usually the biggest box office weekend in China. So I just thought that was interesting. Uh, you know, something to note that we have now the biggest box office opening. I don't know that we're going to be able to beat that in the U.S., uh, but you know, certainly that that's that's huge. Hopefully someday, maybe. So the movie that actually came in second place uh, in the box office this weekend, with again about two million dollars, uh, was released uh, in theaters and released also simultaneously on HBO Max, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be having our main discussion today on Judas and the Black Messiah. This is streaming now on HBO Max, or if you're feeling safe and comfortable, you can go check it out in a movie theater. This is the story of Fred Hampton, the chairman of the Illinois Black Panther Party, and uh, really a fateful betrayal by FBI informant William O'Neill. It's a, it, it was a compelling story. It was a really, really fascinating look at the the the, 70, the 60s and uh, the Black Panther Party, and really Fred Hampton, who's this this figure that is much, much forgotten in the history of, you know, America and the history of the civil rights movement and the history of just, just everything in, in this country. I mean, and it's, it's such an interesting story that's been overlooked and, and uh, sort of taken away and censored out of uh, American history. Uh, it's directed by Shaka King, who's not really known for directing any feature films. This is only his second feature film. And after his first one, which is a really, really small Sundance film called Newlyweeds. So it was, it was not really anything that people really thought of. It was written by, actually, the original script was written by Kenny and Keith Lucas, who are known for comedy, not for writing like this sort of serious action, like not action, but serious drama film. Uh, also, Will Burson uh, and Shaka King also both worked and started working on this. Uh, they started working on this in 2016, so it's actually quite an old film. People have been trying to make movies about Fred Hampton for a while, but they never really got the green light on it. Um, but I guess stars just aligned, and they started to make this film in 2019 after uh, you know getting some more support, uh, getting especially uh, one of the, the major producers within this within this movie, uh, Shaka King, who is really good friends with Ryan Coogler and Zinzi Coogler, uh, who obviously are the, the powerhouse behind proximity media who once that production sort of company got behind this it started to really get the wheels turning and they were able to get this movie made with warner brothers so a huge studio to make such a a, a great film uh you know we we're both really really big fans of this movie um i know i i really enjoyed watching this i thought it was just outstanding and i know you you were really uh, interested in it so I was just wondering though what your takes were on this, but like, what what about this film made it so so compelling? Because I thought it was just just so watchable and and just entertaining. Well, um, first of all, I loved it. Um, <laughs> you know me well, and you know that uh, all right, one good thing that you and I have is that you sometimes rein me in because you know I can go very hyperbolic with my reaction to films. Oh yeah, then, for sure, all the time. And, I, and then I have to watch them again. And you, you sit me down, you're like, watch it again. And I'm like, oh yeah, remember Last Jedi? But that's another conversation. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I love this film. I think it's magnificent. I thought it was great. Um, I'm really happy that that it came out. Um, you know, you're asking me what makes this so compelling. I think obviously the story and everything, but I think it's just so timely. It's something that we are as a society currently living. It's something that we're seeing. It's something that we're, it's in the news basically every day. 
Um, you know, we can go back to last summer and all the Black Lives Matter protests um, that happened with George Floyd's death, you know, and, and this is just, this just puts perspective and timestamps on like, you know, we have a history that we need to be told, that needs to be told, that needs to be confronted. And I think that just opens up this film um, and makes it connect with everybody who gives it a shot and watches it. So I think that, you know, the fact that it's so timely, it's so real, um, it just connects with you as a viewer. Yeah, I thought what was really great, I mean, you, you put it correctly. I mean, I think just as being timely, uh, you know, finally making a film like this, uh, it's something that, you know, they've been, people have been working on trying to make a film about Fred Hampton in particular, uh, but the Black Panthers in general, they tried to make films about this and people just have been ignoring this and pushing it away. But one thing that I found really interesting about it is, you know, I'm, I, I myself have taught about history in the past. Uh, I've been a student in, in schools before and learned history and, the Black Panther Party is not something that people really talk about. They don't talk about the Black Panther Party. They don't talk about what the Black Panther Party stood for. Uh, they don't talk about that stuff. Um, you know, they don't really talk about their stances and their their desires to improve the community, to fight for justice, and not just like demand just like not just fight for it, but demand it, and then to take care of each other. You know, there's never been that aspect in, in this vision of like what the Black Panther Party really stood for and what its effort was and the opposition it came up against. I think that's the big thing. It's not just a party that was trying to fight for civil rights, but it was also trying to fight for just human rights in general. Uh, you know, the, the fight against uh, the Black Panthers being blocked at every corner by not just the, the police, but by the, the FBI and the government going at them and specifically making entire task force to stop them from improving. Yep. I mean, I thought it was it was such a compelling piece of history that we don't ever really learn about. I mean, looking at the 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 looking at Fred Hampton himself is such a I've, I've never heard this name before. I've never heard of him before this movie came out, you know, and he's, he's someone that we need to talk. I can't believe I've never heard of him before. You know, he's Same. such a such a charismatic human being, such an impactful person. And like I was listening to uh, a companion podcast that was put out actually by Proximity Media. They're, they put out a companion podcast about with this movie. Um, you can find it. It's just called uh, the Judas and the Black Messiah podcast. Very clever name, but <laughs> that's, what it's, that's what it's called. And uh, they were talking about a little bit of the history and the, the real history of Fred Hampton. And uh, you know, I, I found out he had, a, he had an FBI file on him at the age of 14. <laughs> because wow. he was already speaking out about injustices in his school system. You know, like this guy is an incredible human being. Uh, 14. This is insane. That's insane. Are there, are there flaws? Certainly. I think that, you know, there's certainly some issues that can be discussed, but you know, I just think that the film is just is so, so well put together and so thoughtful and so mindful. Uh, I, I loved that about it. Well, if you look back at also at our history, you you know there shouldn't be a surprise that we've never heard of this um, yeah. of Fred Hampton. You know the the way the at least it's been my experience the way that Black Panthers have been turned into the boogeyman and yeah. and you know throughout history and and they're like this this is just a terrorist group or or X Y and Z kind of group. Um, 
So it's not, it shouldn't be surprising or, or shocking to see this part of history being erased. Um, you know, being Puerto Rican, I was never taught about Black Panthers in school in Puerto Rico. So it, yeah. I, just like you, I had never heard of Fred Hampton. Um, so I was walking into this movie just, you know, with a clean slate. Like, what is the story? I don't know his story. And I never researched anything before watching the movie. Um, yeah. I think that, I think if you're going to watch this film and you haven't watched it yet, I would definitely suggest not researching because it'll just make it a little bit more compelling. I think mm-hmm. they, they do a great job of telling you everything you need to know. Yes. But uh, I, I think it would just give you a really cool, like it'll give you, cause I don't want to spoil like anything, even though it is history, I still don't want to spoil it for mm-hmm. you, but uh, it's, it's, it's really great to watch. Mm-hmm. I think it was fascinating. Yeah. It's, it's, it's amazing. Amazing. Uh, I think another thing that was really very clear from watching it and thing that made it really compelling is the care that went into making it. You know, I think they, they, they spent a lot of time really thinking and considering all of the different things that they were doing, because this movie was the first one that really, they got the approval of Fred Hampton Jr. So Fred Hampton's son, who's now the leader of the chairman of the uh, black Panther Cubs, um, and he he was actually he gave the, his blessing to make this movie, um, and and that was something that was really really important to the filmmakers, and they wanted to really get that, and that took a lot of back and forth. Fred Hampton had a junior had a lot of uh, a lot of things that he wanted to be seen in the movie, a lot of things that he felt felt were going to be like if you're gonna, if you're going to represent them, represent them correctly. Mm-hmm. So they spent a lot of time. I know uh, Shaka King and uh, Ryan Coogler. Daniel Kaluuya, uh, Lakeith Stanfield. They, they spent a lot of time talking with him, uh, talking with his mother, who plays a big part in this film. Um, you know, they spent a lot of time making sure that they got, they got it right. And you well, could see that. Well, that's when, that's, you know, that's what happens when you have people that are part of a specific community telling those stories or, you know, and, and you have people who are taking the necessary steps and care of a story to tell it correctly. And if you're telling the story in this case, obviously of Fred Hampton, you know, you're going to have people who actually knew him or know of him or, 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 or really understand what happened to bring in to give authenticity to the film. Yeah. So kudos on Hollywood for actually putting in the work to tell true stories. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, and it, it's something that I think is extremely important. And I think mm-hmm. they, 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 you could see the care put into this film. It's, yeah. in, it's in every frame. I mean, just looking at the performances, uh, I mean, Daniel Kaluuya and Lakeith Stanfield's portrayals are just absolutely phenomenal. I mean, who do you, who do you want to talk about first Kaluuya or Stanfield? Um, Kaluuya. Okay. So, Daniel Kaluuya plays Fred Hampton in this film. And I i mean, I don't know what to say. He is absolutely electric. That's the mm. only word to really use for this electric. He is just going for it. And I was listening to, uh, again, in that podcast, I listened to, they were playing actual uh, recorded footage of, of Fred Hampton. Uh, and Daniel Kaluuya is spot on with his, uh, his he's got his accent he's got his rhythm his enunciation his mannerisms he's got everything like spot on in this and really put the work in he put in the work 
Daniel Kalu. Oh my God. He was He's, just- he, he was fantastic. He was phenomenal in this movie. And I think this is one of the few movies that I am not being hyperbolic like I usually am with films. He really is magnificent. You know, when you portray somebody, a real life person, it's very easy to teeter that line between reality and caricature. Um, mm, yeah. But this is not, does not go into caricature world at all. He really put his heart and soul into this movie. He becomes him. Instead, he's not playing Fred Hampton. He's becoming Fred Hampton. And I think that's a um, just a distinction that a lot of people who do biopics don't necessarily do. And I think he just nailed it. You are with him every single frame of the movie. He yeah. is a phenomenal actor. And he's going to have a hell of a career. Oh, yeah. this He, he is in a cut of his own. He is in a different league. He's he's only 31 years old, but he is probably one of the best actors under the age of 35. He's he's definitely in the conversation top 5 actors under 35. For there's sure, no, he's one of the one of the best of his generation. There, there, there's absolutely no doubt. He's he's absolutely phenomenal. Puts in the care, really really care uh is just putting in a shift here. He he is putting on a clinic mm-hmm. about how to do how to act, how to do accents. I mean, mm-hmm. you, you forget he's British. He has a very, very clear, distinct British accent. And he is just putting on a masterclass here. He he's out, he's out of control in this. And and when he's on screen and he's delivering his speeches, he's doing these moments. He he's so, so good. And then it goes, it cuts to his other, his quiet performances and these quiet moments that he's having with, um, with his, you know, his, in the, in the movie, his girlfriend in the movie, uh, Deborah Johnson, who uh, is played by Dominique Fitch, uh, um, yeah, Dominique Fitch, yeah, Fishback, Fishbank, back. Oh my God. Apologies. Apologies Dominic to Dominique. Fishback. <laughs> Apo- apologies to Dominique. I mean, I apologize to her. You know, I'm sorry. Dominique Fishback. Yes. <laughs> Playing Deborah Johnson. Those moments really, he, he's, he's, he dials it back and it yes. is that human and humanizes him in such a way that. I mean, I it's I thought he was just outstanding. Well, what and what I really loved about him is that this is a a, a person, a character that could have gone if he wanted to. He could have been at a ten every single frame. Yeah, but like you said, he finds these moments of just bringing it down and just reacts to the other actors and whatever is going on in the scene and gives it authenticity. Yeah. Um, cause if you go back and see a couple of the videos of Fred Hampton, you know, he, you know, he's this huge outspoken figure. So I thought it was very easy. It could have been very easy for him to just be at a 10 from beginning to end. And he doesn't do that. He really finds layers in giving us an honest portrayal of Fred Hampton. So if you're somebody like me or like us who had no idea who Fred Hampton was, who are walking into this movie completely, you know, in a blank slate, you're like, oh, wow. I, I get it. I connect with this person. Yeah. And the, the other performance in this is with Lakeith Stanfield. Lakeith oh. Stanfield. I know you, you were completely blown away. I thought his, I thought, in, it, it, I thought he, his subtlety spoke, spoke gallons. Like, I mean, he, it was, it was amazing. He's my favorite. I, I, Daniel Kaluuya, and we're going to talk about later on about awards. And yes, Daniel Kaluuya is a stand on this movie. He's amazing. But Lakeith Stanfield, what he does in this film is phenomenal. Just all the subtle decisions that he made to portray this character just blew me out of the water. And I'm so happy that people are going to get to see the talent that this man has because I think he's really underappreciated because he is so, so good. Yeah, he's definitely, again, one of those people in the 
when the discussion for best actors under 35, he's absolutely phenomenal in this. Uh, I know I've said that a bunch of times, but he he's really good. His subtlety is what I, I found really compelling. His, um, his, his eyes, he has the worried eyes and the distressed eyes better than any actor I can think of. He, he really is, is, is crushing it in this film. Um, it's a very challenging role. I mean, he play he plays Bill O'Neill in this and he, it's a very, very challenging role. Mm-hmm. Um, he he's forced into doing this, into informing on, on the black Panther party to the FBI. And he, he doesn't want to do this. He doesn't know what he's in for either. He thinks, he thinks originally what probably most of most people were taught that this is a terrorist organization. And then he gets in, he's like, wait, this isn't a terrorist organization. This isn't a gang. What is this? Why, why am I doing this? And you see the conflict that he has and yeah. He portrays tortured really well. Um, mm-hmm. And by I say tortured, you know, like you said, this idea of conflict that he has like being pull, pushed and pull. I'm like, what am I doing? Why am I here? This is not the way this is what, what I've been told. This is not what's happening. And I think he plays, and I'm, I do use that word purposely tortured really, really well. He, you look at his face and he just takes you in this conflict of like what am i doing why am i doing this should i be doing this and he with few words i loved him when he was not speaking every time he was on screen and the camera just would pan on his face and he there were no words he would just take you on this journey he is my my complete favorite out of this movie just i fell in love with his performance i mean too i mean the thing that's really interesting with with his performance is he it's got to be the performance and the writing but you sympathize with him Mm-hmm. You, you feel you feel bad for him, despite the fact that he's playing the Judas character in this, mm-hmm. and Judas betrays Jesus. Okay, so we you know because the title is Judas and the Black Messiah. He's going to betray Fred Hampton, and you know we don't have to talk all about all the details of that, but like you still sympathize with him. Yes, you do. Even 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 you know by the by the end of the movie, you still sympathize with him. You know, and, and it's so it's such a great lived in performance and and really dialed up when it needs to be dialed back when it needs to be. And just such a such a outstanding performance by by Lakeith Stanfield as well. So good. So, so good. I did want to mention um, Dominic Dominique Fishback. She is so good. I had the only other project I had seen her in was in Project Power on Netflix. Yeah. Um she is so good. She is so good. You know, without going into spoilers, her f- last scene when we see just the shot of her face, it just yeah. it just breaks you. It broke me. And I'm oh wow, she is amazing. So you She's, know, she 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 stands on her own against two actors who are just killing it and giving amazing performances. Kudos on her for doing what she did in this movie. Oh yeah, she she brings she brings Daniel Kaluuya in on those role, those parts when they're playing them together. She really brings him in and mm-hmm. she 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 pushes him and challenges him. And the, her character uh, of Deborah, Deborah Johnson is also a, a brilliant character. Someone yes. who also pushes and challenges Fred Hampton, who is this brilliantly gifted orator, like absolutely mm-hmm. phenomenal orator. And she's able to, to push him and drive him and, and challenge him in a way that's really great. I also wanted to mention Jesse Plemons too, who uh, is also just outstanding. I mean, he's, I mentioned these people, these four people specifically, because they're going to be with us for the next 30 years, crushing it in films. Jesse Plemons, he's not likable. 
guy in this film. He's not likable. Uh, you know, as Roy Mitchell, the FBI agent, and who basically manipulates uh, Bill O'Neill into into informing on on the Black Panther Party. But he's not likable, and somewhat sympathetic. In some, I I don't I don't know how he is able to play this role so well. Where you think he he leads you to the point where you think he's gonna flip, and he and he doesn't. But you know, you think he's going to flip. It starts to get you confused. It starts to get you like dreading. And there's, there's just these little moments in it that he's able to deliver in his discussions with, um, with O'Neill that I just think are really, really well done. I think Jesse Plemons is a very underrated actor because his roles are so awkward sometimes that I think he's super underrated. I agree with you. I think he's great. I love, I've loved him for a while now, um, since Breaking Bad, um, and I he he had another movie come out this year or last year, twenty twenty. I'm thinking of ending things. I was not a big fan of that movie, but I loved him in it, and I thought he was great. So I'm really happy that, he, like you said, the four of uh, all four of these are going to be with us for a long time, um, and they're going to have great great careers. But this is a movie that the acting is phenomenal and those Mm. four actors just took this movie and yes it has to do with the writing it has to do with the directing but what they did was just phenomenal and like you said when you have unlikable characters or the bad quote-unquote bad characters and you still like oh wow they're so good you know the actors did a good job yeah that's one thing i thought was i thought was fantastic so the best part in, in, in my mind, I, I mean, I, I don't want to speak for you, but I think one of the best scenes in the movie is Hampton, Fred Hampton's speech after he gets out of, he's let out of prison. Um, I don't know. Do, do you agree? That I, to me, that was the best scene. In the that, movie. that is a powerful scene and definitely so, one of the best scenes of the film. So, so with that, what, what about that scene? Because it, it is, it's the scene that makes the trailer, which again, side note, the trailer is probably the best trailer I've seen in a very, very long time. It, it was a very good trailer. It's it's the it's the it's what the key part from the trailer. And what about this scene is so compelling? What is it that makes this scene so great? You know, I'm gonna go simple with it. I think it's the 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 real, the quote unquote real factor of it. It's just, you know, after he gets out of jail, he gives this just stunner of a speech. Um, and, 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 you know, this is what's happening to us and this is what we're, what we're fighting for. It's just captivating. Yeah. Captivating. I saw this movie, everything off, just the screen. And I felt like I was there. Yeah. I felt like, oh, wow, this is, this isn't, this is intense. This is intense. And you feel the power. And I think, you know, what I said earlier, it's just timely. This movie is in the 60s mm-hmm. um, and, and it's 2021 and you can see the same speech being said today. Yeah. I mean, he, the, the speech is also a brilliant speech. It's absolutely brilliant. And Kaluuya delivers it. This is, this is one of those moments when he dials it up to a 10, but it's deservedly a 10. And he is, he is up there impassioned and in, in, in yelling a speech and it is, it is delivered unbelievably well. Um, and beyond that, there's there's great cuts in this scene. I think what makes this scene so great to me is watching the scene. You know, the speech is great. The the the, the whole audience is great. The atmosphere is great. But the, the editing in this scene is fantastic. Where they're they're cutting from you know him delivering the speech to the to the people being being caught with it. And then you also see in this moment too. There's also some tension in this in this moment, despite the the electricity of the scene, mm-hmm. where O'Neill is starting to question like 
should do I support this guy? Should I, should I flip and just be unsupportive of him? And yeah. you could see this uh, on on Lakeith Stanfield's face. You could see this on O'Neill's face in the movie. And it's it, to me, there's such a great moment in there where you start to question everything. He, you start to see he's starting to question, what am I doing? Am I doing the right thing? And I think it's to me, it's just such a great, great scene. I, I really enjoyed that scene. Well, and like you said, one of the good marks about if the marks of a good editing is that it takes you into a story as the viewer, yeah. it just takes you into the story. And that's exactly what I meant when I was like, I felt like I was there listening to him. It, yeah. there, there was a moment that I felt like I was in the audience and mm. like you just said, with like Lakeith Stansfield's character, there was a moment, like we said before, you know, we're taught that black Panthers are this, the boogeyman of history or whatever. I, there was a moment that I was also questioning myself. Like, you know, I have to erase everything that I have been told or taught about yeah. this movement and it's not what it is. So the mark of a great editor is putting me in the story and you hit the nail on the head when you said that because it just put me in that scene with them. So besides this scene, what are what are some other scenes or any other scene that you thought was just like one of the best scenes in this in the movie? Listen, one of my favorite scenes and I, I it's not as in your face or bombastic it's probably my favorite scene of the movie is the ending with um, Licky Stansfield and um, Jesse Plemons character O'Neill and, and Mitchell when they're in the restaurant and he gets the payment for betraying um, Fred Hampton. And I thought it mm-hmm. was just so amazing because again, Licky Stansfield was my favorite performance of the film. And without many words, you just see this man just, crumbling in front of your eyes and then the symbolism of the silver key and this is where we see that judas and the black messiah title come into play this idea of him being judas receiving the silver key which is emblematic of the 30 silver coins that judas got when he betrayed jesus and i thought it was just a well paced and well constructed scene and i loved it mainly because lakeith just like took me there and his face just broke me, just broke me. Cause it's that same moment where he's like, what have I done? I did this for this. I have just changed history forever. Yeah. And these are the ramifications of that. Yeah. I mean, that's, that is an absolutely phenomenal scene. One of the scenes I wanted to highlight real quick was this scene right in the middle when, um, when Hampton brings the, a group of them of the black Panthers to, to meet with the crowns. Uh, mm. And the, the crowns, by the way, are, uh, are a fake gang. It's not a real gang. It's just a it's a it's a fictional gang that was made up to sort of be representative of all the gangs of, of Chicago. So but he, he goes to meet with them and he starts talking about like, we need to bring people together. And uh, he talks about like what the Black Panther Party's doing, uh, you know, about providing meals. And then the crowns are like we provide more than that. And, you know, then, then we provide more meals than General Mills. And it's it's not like an antagonistic thing from Hampton, he's like, that's fantastic. Let's just do more. What, what else can we do? We can do more. This is great. And it's just this great scene when I, you just see the human aspect and you can see that he's like, look, you're doing great action already. I'm not trying to say like, we could do, we're better than you. We're doing more, but what can we do together? And just seeing a, a different side of him and this human aspect of saying like, what, what can we do together? If together we can perform, we can be better than we are independently. And I think that was just, for me, that was just a subtle little moment when I just think, 
it's just a great scene that just shows more character about Fred Hampton and also the organization of these gangs and how just how important they were together. So I thought that was a really just important little scene in the, in the middle there. And I I like when movies and, and productions, TV shows, films take the liberty of just giving us a representation of a bigger picture with one aspect. And Mm. in this case, obviously the gangs, I thought it was very well put together. So I'm with you. I thought it was a very, it's a scene that might go just forgotten by a lot of people. But when you look back at it, it's very important to the story. So uh, the other thing I wanted to ask you about within this film was about like the the framing of the film. So the film itself is is not a traditional biopic, right? It's not a a traditional biopic. It's not just, okay, we watched Fred Hampton rise from, you know, being a 14-year-old kid, moving to Chicago, growing up in Louisiana, moving to Chicago, and then growing up and being, you know, the leader, the chairman of the Black Panther Party of Illinois, which is a really, really big deal at such a young age. Mm -hmm. But it, w- it was done in a different way of framing it through the involvement of Bill O'Neill. And it changes the story a little bit, adding a more of a, a sort of like departed insider, you know, informant type thing into this film, uh, along with, you know, the biopic. And and I just was curious what your take was on that, if you what your feelings were on that. Did it, did it work for you? Did you think that like maybe it would have worked better as a straight biopic or or what, what was your thought? No, I think it was a great choice. I think biopics are or tend to be every hit or miss with audiences and critics. You know, we tend to get like, oh, we love the performances, but the movie's not that good. Um, that's usually what we get from biopics. Um, I don't know, take example, like Judy from last year. She won the Oscar, but a lot of people are like, the movie's fine, but she's great. Um, Meryl Streep and, and other people. Mm-hmm. I love the decisions that they made for this because it shows us, yes, the biopic elements of the characters but it broadens the story. It gives us the bigger picture that there was a lot of things going on and happening for us to get to this moment. I think if they would have gone the traditional route and just given us the Fred Hampton biopic, this is the kid who grew up to do this. And this happened towards the end of his life. It would have been like a very by the numbers thing. I don't think it would have become the, the, the movie that it's becoming right now for people because um you know biopics again they're very hit or miss a lot of people don't like them like do i want to see two hours of just the story of a person from the moment they yeah. were now and this just takes a different take so i'm really happy that with the decisions that they made um and that they incorporated all these other characters into the story because this was a bigger story and this was a bigger picture um so you did that without taking away the focus from hampton's story yeah, I think what's really fascinating is they they took those elements and they they took the traditional biopic, but also made it a crime thriller. This is a crime mm-hmm. thriller. You know, it's an espionage movie. You know, the FBI is informing here and they have an FBI informant in the ranks of, of, the, of the Black Panther Party. And that's what they made a, a paranoia mystery thriller yep. with crime. Like it's it. It's a different movie. And I think it, it totally works and elevates the story beyond anything it could be before. Mm-hmm. And it's also a history lesson. This movie yeah. is a history lesson, in your face history lesson, but done in a good way. Speaking of his, speaking of the history aspect of it, what, what's really fascinating with this too is the real life story of it. The real history of it is Fred Hampton is 21 in this movie, and Bill <laughs> O'Neill, when he was recruited by the by the FBI, was 17. Now Daniel Kaluuya is 31, and um, Lakeith Stanfield is 29. So they're they're not the right age. They're not playing the age correctly, but what did you think of the, the of, of aging them up? I mean, they're certainly a lot older than they would be than the actual people were, the real life people they're playing. But they they definitely decided to age them up to to older characters, older actors playing them. But what did you what did you think of that? 
So I've seen a couple people um, bring this up um, in Twitter and other places. I didn't even give it a second thought. I did not mind. I actually didn't even think about it until I started seeing a couple of people mentioning it because it's, I don't think their age is central to the story. Um, you know, it's not a big part of the story. You know, you're looking at people who you want to bring in people that can give the performance. You yeah. want to bring in people that can give us that experience, that story through the screen. And if you look at um, pictures and videos of both of them in the 60s, people in that era, the 60s and 70s, did look a little bit older than they did uh, mm. or the, the age that they were. But it's not a big thing in the film, so I did not mind it at all. Um, so I'm good with it. I, I, I just don't I, I, I just don't it's, it wasn't a thought for me. It wasn't a thought. Yeah, it's it's an interesting uh, it's, it's an interesting little take in there because you know it would it would help frame I think Bill O'Neill a little bit better if they 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 could have they, if they decided to go about and age them with actors around this, the right age it could have it could have changed a little bit of the story elements I mean, I mean one of the things that Fred Hampton is only he's only twenty one mm-hmm. and that and what he's able to do at twenty one be the the chairman of the Black Panther Party and and be as as calm and level headed as he is. And as clear as he is at 21 is really miraculous. It's, it's really, really stunning. And Bill O'Neill was recruited at 17. And that could give you a little bit of an idea of like why he was so, he thought he was doing the right thing. When he's manipulated by the FBI, the FBI is like, you're doing this for the right reasons. These are like the KKK. That's what Jesse Plemons says in the beginning. Roy Mitchell's like, they're the same thing as the KKK. You're doing the right thing. And he's so young. He doesn't necessarily know about them he doesn't know anything better and he's thinking he's doing the right thing so that does give it uh, a little bit more of a context for Mm -hmm. it now in terms of the actors themselves i don't think that you would be able to get the same performance out of some younger actors and the other thing that i think is really important too uh well two aspects of it that i think are important one is fred hampton jr himself wrote wrote off on this he said this is exactly these are the two people i want to play Mm -hmm. these people can deliver what my father uh like especially daniel kaluuya my he can deliver what my father thought in his beliefs and it was saying like this is this is the right portrayal and without uh without daniel kaluuya or lakeith stanfield you're not going to get the same draw to this movie people aren't going to watch the movie if it's younger actors who are less less known so i think it was the right choice to to certainly keep with these older actors playing the younger characters, but then make definitely referencing the fact that they were young because their accomplishments mm-hmm. are, and that does frame it a little bit more for their motivations in there and their accomplishments. It really does uh, show a little bit more of that. Absolutely. Well, and you also, I don't think you would have had probably, this is just obviously up in the air for discussion, but I don't think you would have had the same experiences or the same kind of power if you would have brought in younger actors and by that, I mean the lived experiences, you know, Kaluuya and Stanfield at the age that they are, the years that they've been working, um, and probably, you know, the, the, their lived experiences as Black men probably don't compare to the same as a younger actor who's 17, 18, or 19. So I yeah. think having that life experience helps bring in the performances that they gave. And, and and one last thing to wrap up on this discussion on, on the film, because I mean, again, we, we, we love this film and, you know, we, we love awards as well. That's probably our, <laughs> our, our second, uh, one of our favorite things to talk about. Uh, and, and just thinking about the awards for this movie. I mean, I think it's, it's certainly in some awards contention, 
But even with the awards, uh, I think there's a little bit of category fraud going on here. You want to you talk to me about what category fraud is? Um, sure. So um, category fraud is a very fun discussion for a lot of people who follow awards. You know, this idea of where do you place your actors in certain categories and certain awards, depending on what you think they, or where do you think they should be? For example, in this film, we think that um, Licky Stansfield is supporting while Daniel Kaluuya is the lead of the movie. Well, to be fair, the the top build person is Daniel Kaluuya. Exactly. He's top, he's top build. He's in 75% of this movie. Exactly. And then yeah. you have them running, you have him running for supporting um, everywhere. And like Sanfield is being run as lead everywhere. Um, you know, and that's a common, that's a common practice. And when it comes to awards, you know, somebody that comes at the top of my head is Viola Davis. She won four years ago for supporting actress. And she is in the movie fences the same amount of time as Isel Washington. Yeah. And her story is, it's both their stories. So, but you know, studios won awards, so they have to play around with where they think they could win. Yeah. And so from the, from the award ceremonies in general, I know uh, Daniel Kaluuya is nominated for a golden globe and supporting. We talked about that in our episode. He's probably one of the favorites now. He's got to be the favorite in this category now. I mean, the, the lateness of this movie coming out can certainly affect his, his ability to do well in this, but I mean, his perform. Not, I don't know that if that's going to impact him for the Oscars. I think the Oscar race, he could be good. The Golden Globe, he might miss out on because of the lateness of this film. But I really do think that he he's definitely got to be one of the the front runner or right alongside for the uh, for the Academy Award. I think. Uh, well, first of all, I'm going to scold Warner Brothers because I think they should have released this movie a little bit earlier. Uh, yeah. And I think this movie would have gotten more traction in awards than it has gotten. It's only basically gotten Kaluuya in um, everywhere. But I think he's the established name. You can make the case that Lucky Sandfield is also established and he's had a great run. But you know, Kaluuya has been nominated for all these awards before for Get Out five years ago. So he he's the no name. But having closing that parenthesis on me scolding Warner Brothers for releasing it so late, um, Academy Award nominations don't come out until 30 days from today when we're recording. So I think the movie for the Oscars has the potential to be seen by Academy members and get in in many, many categories and not just Kaluuya for supporting actor. Because I do think this is one of the best movies of the year. And I hope it, re- it gets recognized the way it should. Um, so I think it has time to get in at the Oscars. And I think Kaluuya, like you said, I think he's the front runner to win. I don't know if he's going to win Golden Globe Award. The, Go- the Globes, that is a conversation on another conversation on why I think that. But I do think he has the shot to win at SAG, Critics. Maybe BAFTA if he gets nominated. And I think he's the front runner for the Oscars. I just don't yeah. see him losing, especially going with the category fraud conversation. It helps that you're a lead performance in a supporting category. That helps a lot. I can definitely see it for BAFTA. BAFTA, I think he's a lock. Uh, but I also see it getting in for probably three different awards, uh, at least three for the the Academy, you know, in terms of supporting best uh Best picture and uh, probably best uh, original screenplay. That'd be my that'd be my guess. Um, any other final thoughts on that? Um, no, I think it's gonna be a fun run to see where they vote. Nomination voting begins two weeks from now, so it'll be interesting to see what happens with this movie. 
Um, I just hope it gets recognized. And because it's, I love this movie. One of the best of the year for sure. Uh, if you want to place it in 2020 or in 2021, depending on the calendar that you're following, you do you. Um, but it's definitely one of the best films I've seen in 2021 so far. Um, so I really hope it gets recognized the way I think it should. And with that, we're going to go to a quick, more quick break before talking about WandaVision episode six. So WandaVision episode six, uh, all new Halloween spooktacular. This episode just came out and it was, it was quite a lot of stuff happened in this, in this episode. I'm going to give you a quick recap. Unlike last week where I ended up going on a nine minute recap, this is directly from the Wikipedia article. This is so that way I'm not going way too off the rails, even though I already have started. In a late 90s, early 2000s setting, Wanda wants to spend spend Tommy and Billy's first Halloween together as a family, but Vision tells her he's going to patrol the streets with a neighborhood watch. Pietro offers to step in as the father figure and takes his boys trick-or-treating, uh, causing mischief with his super speed, which Tommy is revealed to have inherited. Meanwhile, Vision explores further away from the house and finds residents of Westview standing frozen in their positions, including Agnes. Vision speaks to Agnes's real self, and she tells him that he's dead. Outside Westville, Westview, Haywood orders uh, Monica, Darcy, and Jimmy to leave the base after for disagreeing with his decision to attack Wanda, but they sneak inside anyway. They hack into his computer and discover that he was, he's been tracking Vision's vibranium signature. Vision tries to push forward through the static wall, but he begins to disintegrate. Billy senses this, and Wanda, who expands the hexagon static wall, um, starts to bring him back in. Vision, Darcy, and several sword agents are then enveloped into the new boundary of the hex. Ooh, spooky. <laughs> Super spooktacular. Um, I love this episode. Um, I love that we... Shocking. No, but I think WandaVision hasn't missed at all any um, yeah. in any episodes. I People are like, this wasn't as good as last week. We've had episode after episode is just he's getting better and better i think it's good to have an episode that just takes its time and gives us something especially that we now know that the last three episodes are going to be an hour long um i loved it you know as a 90s kid we're both 90s kids um i used to love malcolm in the middle and the fact that they used malcolm in the middle i was like oh my god this is so good um i just thought it was a great episode um and bring give me darcy as two broke girls and I'll be happy. <laughs> it was certainly one of those things that had a lot of Easter eggs. And I think this episode had more Easter eggs than probably any other episode. Yep. I, I mean, there's a lot to look at. I mean, from the costumes that they decide to wear for this, you know, where Wanda decides to show up in what is clearly a Scarlet Witch costume, but she's like, no, I'm just a fortune teller from Sokovia. And then Vision is dressed up as what he calls himself a Mexican wrestler, yet he's clearly dressed up as Vision. Um, I thought Agnes was interesting because she's dressed up as a witch, yep. which I think is pretty telling. Uh, and just the, the costumes in general. I mean, Pietro, Pietro starts to dress up as he dresses up as, as a classic Quicksilver. Uh, there's just nod to the comic books. And like, there, there's really, really interesting little tidbits in there. I thought those were really fascinating. Um, some of the, some of the different like little, little things you get in there. Like they walk by, they walk in the downtown area and there's a movie sign there that says the Incredibles, like, 
you know, like, like they're, they're all incredible people and, you know, they're all superheroes, a family of superheroes. And also the yep. one underneath that, it was the Incredibles. And do you remember what the other film was? The Parent Trap. <laughs> perfect, perfect, perfect pairing right there. Perfection, perfection. I thought it was so, oh, so good. You know, the, for me as, so I love the comics. Um, seeing them dress, we've seen the trailers. We knew that Vision and, and Wanda were, were going to wear those costumes. But then we see Pietro wearing his Quicksilver costume from the comics. It was just like, oh, thank you. Thank you, Marvel, for bringing in the comics and the X-Men costumes, which is really fun. And mm. they're definitely doing it. They're definitely doing the X-Men MCU. So I'm really happy about that. Yeah, it'll, it'll be really fun to just see how this keeps going. I thought there were, there were some cool little story side storylines in this uh, there was a lot of hinting at what's to come i believe uh you know pietro is, is really struggling to connect with wanda in this and sort of manipulating her in a way mm-hmm. and, and confused about things and it seemed he use he says things very specifically that are references to the comic books i think as well uh such as like he he's instead of his his hair looks like devil horns uh, just Mm -hmm. like her costume does too which is in reference to things in the comic books about where uh wanda's kids come from uh specifically calling the children come back here demon spawn yep i think it's a very important like little reference there so uh even if it's not even if it doesn't pan out in the series it's still nice like callbacks to to things that happen in but i think it'll pan out i think that character is coming (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah i'm really happy about it i also loved the the idea of, of the control on the edge of town i think you know coming on the edge of town uh where they're, they're not under they're not being controlled and they're not moving which could be part of the torture element that's been going on because, here because... i love that it's not central to the story they're not interacting with the main character so they are not as invested it's like um and you might know this more than I do because you're more of a gamer than I am. But it's that spectrum of old games that if you're not in in, in the view of a game of the main character, of yeah. the main character, you're probably forgotten. And that's what I got from that. It was so interesting and fun and another horror element to the show, which I really enjoyed. Yeah, I mean, that's part of the torture element of it. I mean, all the all those characters are saying, like, you know, she's torturing us. We're, we're dying out here. And like that when they've been revealed by vision to be, to be talking to the real person. And, and mm-hmm. I thought that was really, really interesting uh, for sure. And then also visions escape from the, the realm. He pushes through the static wall to try to escape. And then as he's doing this, he starts being ripped apart and mm-hmm. like tries to escape and no one's going to help him. And, and, and that, that was just really fascinating. That was a great scene. I think that was a great scene. The visual effects in that were great. Yeah. Even the, uh, and then, uh, which one? Is, I think it's it's Billy. Uh, it, it starts. He senses that his that vision's being ripped apart, and warns Wanda about it. Uh, and she she ultimate then she decides to, and it, the only way she can save Vision is by expanding the hex. The hex. Yep. And expands it and starts enveloping other people, enveloping everybody uh, outside. And it's it's cool. What I liked is I liked how when when it was enveloped into the world, it changed. And what it changed into was interesting. Mm-hmm. The can the the sword camp on the outside, when it came into into the hex, it became a circus, which is like a funny way for her to uh, interpret sword. Just like these people aren't <laughs> serious. It's a circus out there. Yeah, you know or. Um, or like, you know, all those agents became clowns. 
you know, it's such a funny like nod to just make to like what they're what they're transformed into. I mm-hmm. thought that was was a really really funny uh, part of it. I am so happy that we got Billy and Tommy with their powers. Mm-hmm. Um, that was just again, I loved it. I will say that I think they are setting up what is known as Young Avengers. Uh, which is kids from famous Avengers. We have just been given Billy and Tommy that if you don't know, they're called speed and Wiccan. Those are their X-Men superhero names. And we have been told and confirmed that people like Kate Bishop is coming in the Hawkeye show. Um, Cassie Lang, who's Ant-Man's daughter. We saw her as a teenager in Endgame. She is coming back for Ant-Man three. Apparently she has a big story arc and America Chavez who becomes Mrs. America um is coming for dr strange too so i think we're getting another marvel's giddy is 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 setting up the stage for more stuff in this case young avengers which they're really fun and and really good i like that comic series so i'm really happy that i'm like the kids have their powers yes thank you yeah um i don't i don't really have many other thoughts on this episode i thought it was just really well done and it's going to push us forward into into the uh into the later episodes the last few episodes which i you said earlier are, are the quote-unquote hour-long episodes yep uh, do you have do you have any other thoughts on this episode i have one more there is something that um monica rambo says when they are hacking into the computer that and i quote her guy my guy is going to help me get back in. He's going to meet me at the bridge. There is, who do you think, I don't know if you've put thought into this. Who do you think is going to be that guy? Who do you think is that person that is going to come up and help her to get into the hex, knowing that the hex is all about astrophysics and metaphysics and all these things. I have a theory and I don't yeah. know if it's true or not, but I would love for it to be a person. I think we might get another setup for something else Marvel yeah, well, related. I mean, I, I have an idea of what it could be a setup for, what you're thinking. I had my, so I was texting with my brother recently about this and he we, we were texting over the weekend uh, and he had a, a great theory for this as well. And I, when I heard it, I mean, I don't know that it's going to be true. But I hope it's true because I would love it because the person who is all about astral projection and the most powerful psychic in the, in the, in the, in the universe or not in the universe, but one of the most powerful people is Charles Xavier, who okay. I don't know if that's what you were thinking. I know no, that's not, what, I have, thinking, I have, that's not but, what I'm thinking, but for me, Charles Xavier would be a awesome way to start incorporating this into a greater X-Men universe. Okay. You know, because th- maybe he's the one that sent Quicksilver in, even though, yeah, I don't think it's actually Quicksilver, but that's a different. That would be great. I would not be mad if it's I, Professor X at all. I, that would be now, awesome. Again, that's that's a theory I would love to be true. Do I think it's going to happen? I don't know, but I think that's a cool theory to think about. Okay, so my theory is that one of the most famous astrophysicists in the Marvel universe is Doctor Reed Richards from Fantastic mm. Four. I, my theory is that we probably, that we're going to get Reed Richards come in and that is going to be the setup for Fantastic Four, obviously. So I think we might, or I'm hoping we get Reed Richards as the person who's going to come in and help Monica go back into the hex. And I would love that. I think it would be on, it would be unexpected. And if they do that, I would love to see who is going to be the MCU Reed Richards. I mean, that's the same thing with me. I would love to see who's going to play Professor Xavier in the MCU. Mm-hmm. 
you know, I, I, I mean, we could speculate about who we'd want for these characters in a later episode. I mean, I think that would actually be quite compelling, but uh, I, I would just, I'm very interested to see who they decide to pick for these different characters. Honestly, if either of them show up in next episode, I'm pumped. I, I'm really I would excited. Be super pumped. I know that it's going to be a big reveal and it's going to be exciting and we're definitely going to cover it on whatever episode when it comes out. Yep. And I do think, um, just really quickly, <laughs> Elizabeth Olsen did say that we're going to have an Obi-Wan Kenobi appearance. I don't think it was Pietro. I think we're going to get somebody bigger that is really going to shake up WandaVision. And with yeah. that, I'll shut up about WandaVision. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, with that, uh, with that, we'll, we'll definitely be covering that whenever we, we'll, we'll cover that next week when we talk about WandaVision Episode 7 next week, as along with um, other material that's coming out throughout the week. So uh, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Split Real Podcast. I've, I've been Steve this whole episode. I'm Gabe, so you can follow me <laughs> in my social media, Gabucho Grab, and obviously in Split Real Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. Thanks. See you later. Bye.